Our first reading this morning can be found on page 977, Matthew 11, and I'll start at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Our second reading this morning is from the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, The reading is on page 669. It's in two parts. We're actually going to be starting at verse 17. Uh, We'll read that section from verse 17 to the end. And then over the page, one page... Ecclesiastes 4, starting at verse 4. That's at the bottom of the next page. So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This, too, is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do all his work with wisdom knowledge and skill and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it this too is meaningless and a great misfortune what does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun all his days his work is pain and grief even at night his mind does not rest this too is meaningless A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This, too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. And I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This, too, is meaningless, and a chasing after the wind. The fool folds his hands and ruins himself. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. 
Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This, too, is meaningless, a miserable business. Well, good morning. Let me have my, uh, let me have my welcome. Uh, my name is uh, Matt Fuller, and uh, I'm come to bring, bring you this morning's meaninglessness uh, and misery. So that's good, isn't it? The, um, I thought just as Barbara read it, chapter 2, verse uh, 18. What a great verse for Gordon Brown. I hated all the things I told for. I must leave them to the one who comes after me. Will he be a wise man? Will he be a fool? Who can tell? Uh, he might enjoy that. Let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, we uh, need your help this morning as ever. We need your spirit to help us understand your your word so it speaks very clearly to us. Uh, We want to understand this rightly, to have our labors, our toil, our work in the right perspective. Uh, So give us the wisdom we lack, Father. Help us this morning, we pray. Amen. Uh, well then, we're spending uh, a few weeks, not too many, it would just get a bit much possibly, but uh, a few weeks then in this book of Ecclesiastes, which uh, really is the search of the teacher, uh, that's uh, how he's described, the teacher, uh, the professor perhaps, in his search for meaning in this world, in this life, uh, because he's a thinking man, he realizes he's on some sort of, he's on a spiritual quest to discover, why am I here? Sometimes I have to step back and ask myself that question, what am I doing here? Why am I here? And most people ask that at some point, even if it's rarely, even if it's just at the point of death, what have I done? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, uh, the funeral of Malcolm McLaren, uh, the, uh, his uh, former uh, lover partner, Vivian Westwood. It was very striking, I thought, her comments on that day. I'm very, very sad that unbelievably Malcolm is dead. And I just wanted to say on this cruel, cruel day to you all, get a life, do something with it. And she's expressing that if if this life is all there is, if there's nothing more than life under the sun, nothing more than life walking on this planet, then for goodness sake, create some meaning. (laughs) Do something, quick, because Malcolm's dead and he was a live wire. And so do something, because when he's dead, he's just gone. And uh, so the, uh, the teacher in this book, he's exploring different ways, uh, different places of spiritual meaning. So he, he, he went for wisdom. Last week we thought about pleasure. He really pursued that. And this morning then he comes to work. What can I build? What can I labor for that will inject my life with meaning? And uh, the answer was, it comes to fairly clearly, is that all his work is meaningless. So chapter 2, verse 17, it is all meaningless. Everything he toils for is meaningless. Now, uh, we've been saying as we've gone along, meaningless is okay, is a translation. Um, but uh, perhaps we'll catch the spirit a little bit more would be something like vapor. Because there is meaning in this book. It's not that the whole of life is meaningless. But life is vapor. Work is vapor. Or fog. So it, it's only temporary doesn't last forever. It comes and it goes. And you can't 
really grasp hold of it. You never feel you've conquered fog or got, you can't bottle it or put it in your pocket for later. You reach for it and you just pass through it. You can't, it, it slightly defies full meaning. You say, yeah, that's true. That's true of work as well. Work is, it's foggy. I can't quite, it doesn't quite satisfy. And that's right. So he'll say, he'll go on to say that work, it's not the answer to his question of life. It doesn't fulfill his deepest longings for meaning and purpose, even though it's a good thing. Now, uh, before we jump in, just, we need to be slightly careful with this, because uh, Ecclesiastes and what we'll say this morning on work, it's not everything the Bible has to say on work. So nothing this morning on how to go about work, uh, the, the best ways, best practices, the ethics, etc. There's none of that. It's a very simple question, really, the teacher wants to look at with regard to work. Can it ultimately fulfill you? To which he says, no. <laughs> and you could, I mean, that's it, really. Uh, but let's explore. Let's explore what he says. So a couple of things. Uh, work cannot provide meaning, but work from God can be satisfying. Uh, and that's really what he's got to say. Now, let's explore those in turn. Work, then, it cannot provide ultimate meaning or purpose. Now, if you remember, though, uh, let's, a little bit of context. Last time we looked at this, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, just cast your eye back over there. Um, chapter 2, verse 10, work is positive there, so I deny myself no, uh, nothing my eyes desired, I refuse my heart, no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Here he says, you know what, I've really enjoyed my job. Uh, the, the work itself is the reward for my labor. I really enjoy it. And I take it there are lots of us here today who, who could say that. You know what? Not every day, but overall, I really enjoy my work. It's satisfying. And uh, the teacher would say, yeah, yeah, that's true. But not ultimately. But it's good to enjoy work. That's a, that's a normal expectation. Uh, back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, human beings are made to work. We are made in God's image to be workers, to be productive, to uh, uh, fill the earth and subdue it, to create, to civilize, to sort of put things in order, to be creative with the resources that God has given us. That's normal. God wants us to make the best use of this world. You get to, uh, to the law of Moses, six days you shall work, and one you shall not. Uh, but six days, you should work. Go on, go and work, says God. There's plenty to do, and uh, I've designed human beings to do that in this world. Go and work. That's a, a normal thing we should be doing. So work, yeah, I enjoyed my work, says the teacher. But, uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I told to achieve, everything was meaningless. Or chapter 2, verse 18, I hated all the things I toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. So in the moment, I enjoy my work often, day by day, but when I take a step back, and think, okay, what have I done? Oh. Is this it? What, what, what have I done with my life? No. That's it, is it? That's the lot. Well, that, that's not enough. It's not enough. So let's think a little bit more uh, about this. Uh, three little things. Uh, I think he says here, we'll, we'll work through them. Work then, it can't, secure, it can't secure your purpose, it can't secure satisfaction, it can't secure status. 
and they're overlapping, but they're three things that we're meant to find in work, so I'm told. I've been reading a few things on work this week. But uh, a legacy or purpose, satisfaction and status, these are things we're meant to find in work. But um, the teacher says, sorry, <laughs> not ultimately. You can't do that. So it can't secure your purpose or legacy, legacy which is really the, point, uh, the first point here in, in chapter 2, 18 to 21. You can't take it with you. So I must leave everything that comes to the one who comes behind me. Verse 19, who knows whether the one who comes after me will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he'll have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun. And this is meaningless. Now the crude point is, you can't take it with you. You build, you build up something in this life, but you can't take it with you. You can try. You can be a pharaoh in Egypt and stuff your pyramid full of uh, treasures. You can be the first emperor in, Egypt, um, in, um, in China and have all your terracotta warriors with you. But you know what? Then you leave them behind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the, um, the rich list comes out. You know, the thing the Sunday Times does every year of uh, who's wealthiest and who's gone up and who's gone down. But there was a funny little uh, uh, link I followed on that, which was to the, the top ten dead earners in the world. So these are the, the people who are earning the big bucks but are dead, which was interesting. I was an interesting list, actually. So number one, Yves Saint Laurent. Last year earns £213 million. Number two, you'd never guess that. We could have quite a long game with this. Number two, Rogers and Hammerstein. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, the subculture musicians are finding that hard to believe. But um, 142 million they earned last year. Number three, new entry, Michael Jackson. Number four, Elvis Presley. Number five, uh, Tolkien. And down it goes. You know, these guys are earning significant amounts of money, but it doesn't do them a lot of good. They haven't taken it with them. And of course, in one sense, that's his crude point here. You don't take it with you. But it's a bit more than just money. It's it's everything you've worked for, verse 19. Or I've poured my effort and my skill into building something up and it will go. You may have, you know, you may be thinking, I've built a company. I've built a company from the ground up and I'm really proud and all my effort and my labours has gone into this and I hand it over to my son who's a buffoon and it'll just go. Or, uh, don't, don't nod your head, fathers. <laughs> uh, or I hand it over and in two or three generations' time, who knows what the company's doing? I may instill certain practices, ethics in it, but in a few generations' time, what does the company stand for now? I've just, it's gone, isn't it? My own input. So the teacher says, yeah, you can enjoy your work now and, and do, but when you've gone, your work may collapse. So, what was the point of that? Verse 21. A man may do his work with wisdom and knowledge and skill, but then he must leave it, all he owns, to someone who's not worked for it. And this renders his work meaningless and a great misfortune to have invested so much time. So, <laughs> it'd be important to distinguish a couple, one, one little thing here. For the teacher then, it is... It is important to work. And it's good and normal to find some satisfaction in work. That Genesis 2 would expect that. You, you know, you, you, we should work. Uh, but, ultimately, don't make it your master. Don't pour all your hopes on work. Don't invest everything in there. Because it will go. It'll go. And you'll be rendered meaningless. 
Now, to try and uh, perhaps clear up one little confusion, uh, if you hate your job, it may be that you're doing something you're not suited to. That would be a reasonable conclusion, or perhaps a good conclusion to make. Were I to pursue a career as an opera singer, that would be pain and, um, for me and for you. And for anyone who listened to me, that would be pain and toil and meaningless. And I should probably change it and do something else. Um, so you can be in a job which you're not well suited for. It may be that the hours you just can't sustain. Physically, you can't do that. It may be that creatively you're in the wrong place, of course, and then your job will be deeply, deeply, deeply frustrating, and you should probably get counsel and move and get another job. But um, all jobs have some element of that. Don't think there is the perfect job out there that will tick all the boxes. There is not because ultimately no work can do that. I pulled this from the paper uh, a couple of months ago. Uh, headline, uh, ambition-weary executives find more rewarding... Oh, my goodness. Ambition, excuse me. Ambition-weary executives find more rewarding bonuses outside the city. So here's one bloke, James Burridge, who was earning quite a lot of money at uh, RBS for a while, um, and uh, uh, then said uh, he just got ambition-weary, became exhausted, quit, and is now very satisfied as a teacher. And the moral of the article is um, there are some jobs which make you lots of money which are not very satisfying. There are other jobs which don't make you very much and will, and will deeply satisfy your soul. And that's nonsense. That's nonsense. He's chasing the wind slightly here. Now, it may be that this guy wasn't well-suited to working at RBS, of course. But as a, as a school teacher, look, I worked as a teacher... I loved it for a while, of course. But I, there were many, many, many in, my, in the schools I worked in who were about 50 and hated it and were just counting the, the terms, literally. You'd say, how, you know, how, how are you doing, Peter? Well, you know, fine, just 17 terms left and then I retire. Or even worse, how are you doing, how are you doing James? Fine, just 65 terms left and then I retire. Oh, my goodness me, that's a depressing way to live. You see, it's not that some jobs are intrinsically... Will, will satisfy, but you're chasing the wind if you think there's one job out there that'll do it. Work is not meant to be the, the satisfaction for our souls. It's never meant to be. So the Martino, he's just changed jobs and he's enjoying teaching. Good. And it may be that he's well suited to it. Great. But it'll never ultimately satisfy. He's chasing the wind if he thinks that's true. So it won't, sorry, it, won't, um, it won't produce a legacy or purpose. Work can't secure that for you. Second thing, it can't secure satisfaction. So uh, if uh, 19 to 21 are really looking forward, 22 and 23 of chapter 2, they're, they're the present tense. So chapter 2, verse 22. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This, too, is meaningless. Now, some people love busyness. Some people adore just being busy. Uh, we have a good friend for a number of years. He was a corporate lawyer. And I remember once uh, talking to him, and uh, he said, the best deals, the best deals are the ones that close at 4 a.m. in the morning. I never feel more alive than when I haven't slept for two days, and then we sign something off at 4 a.m., and you think, oh, that's tragic, come on. <laughs> you 
you've never felt more alive than you haven't slept for 48 hours. I mean, what are you, what are you talking about? The buzz, the buzz of it. He said, I can't, you know, there's nothing like the buzz of those sort of deals. And then about three years later, he quit. Um, because the buzz fades of those sort of deals, which are caffeine-fueled and have no sleep. And the, it fades. He thought that was the place of real satisfaction. But after a while, no, it didn't quite do it for him. Uh, back in 2003, Johnny Wilkinson uh, was the nation's hero, of course. He, uh, uh, UK, he kicked the drop goal for England to, uh, to win the World Cup. And at the culmination of 20 years later, he first went on the rugby pitch, age five, 20 years later, there he was, uh, the nation's darling. He writes in his autobiography, The next day I felt like I was tumbling out of control. I felt an overwhelming, concussive sense of anticlimax. So I'm the greatest in the world at my job. Is this it? 20 years, that's it. Oh, is that it? This is it, is it? Now what do I do? Uh, Andre Agassi, uh, the, uh, his uh, biography, Open, came out last year. He talks about um, being interviewed after becoming number one in the world rankings for the first time. I tell the reporter, it feels good to be the best that I can be. It's a lie. It's what I want to feel. It's what I expected to feel. But in fact, I feel nothing. If being number one feels empty, unsatisfying, what's the point of my tennis? She's not... If you invest too much in your work, it'll let you down. If you think that's the place of ultimate satisfaction, these are guys who have just reached the, to the pinnacle. Oh, now what? Now what do I do? Or verse 23, the second half here. Uh, some of us, or many of us, I don't know, certainly some of us will know this experience. His work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. I'm sure many of us have had periods like that, the loneliness of the sleepless night where you just lie there and it's very lonely in the middle of the night and you just, you dig over the remains of the day that's just gone. You fear the day that's about to come. You, you just tot up in your mind the tasks that need to get done tomorrow and you think, I can't do them all. So the most, and you, so you just lie there. It's lonely. It's miserable. It's 4 a.m. and I don't feel that alive, actually. I'd just do anything to be asleep right now and know some peace. That's not healthy, <laughs> obviously. And then in chapter 4, you get more pictures of the, the, the fact that work can't satisfy you. Very sad pictures of uh, chapter 4, verse 7. There was a man all alone, neither son nor brother, no end to his toil. His eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. Why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless and miserable business. So here's the man who works and works and toils and toils. There's no end to his toil. But all of a sudden he takes a step back and says, what am I doing? He's, he's all alone. There's no one with him. Maybe because he's... All he does is work, and so he's just incredibly boring. Or all he does is work, and so his family have grown up without him noticing and grown apart from him. But he's all alone. What am I doing? What am I working for? What? Now, I read yesterday that um, 
the UK has now the longest working hours in the developed world. It's overtaken the US. Well done, us. Um, the longest working hours on average uh, in the developed world. And so obviously they wheel out all sorts of professors, etc., to comment on this. Uh, one chap said, uh, industry demands long hours, but on top of that, everyone likes to feel important. And what makes a lot of people feel important is having a packed schedule at work or a packed diary out of work. He goes on to comment. Now, come back to this. One says, uh, sometimes you have no choice on the hours and there are periods where you just work incredibly hard, of course. Uh, but for some, <laughs> that's, 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 oh, okay, I'm really busy. I'm incredibly busy. I'm very important, you know. Can I tell you how busy I am? Because then you'll know I'm really very important. Uh, or they don't necessarily tell anyone, but just for themselves. That's, if, I just, if I'm working flat out, that must mean I'm somebody, mustn't it? Well, you never really be satisfied that way, says the teacher. Sometimes you'll take a step back and you'll realize, what have I done? <laughs> this is meaningless. So it can't secure legacy, it can't secure satisfaction, work can't secure status either, or recognition, because that's what lots of people want from work, to be, to, be, to be known as something, to be seen as something. Well, the teacher exaggerates to make his point here, chapter 4, verse 4. Now, there's truth in this, but I, you know, he's exaggerating a little. I saw that all labor and all achievement spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, of course, people, some people work for, for very altruistic purposes, isn't it? but he's saying general, <laughs> in the workplace, what spurs people on? It's competition. It's envy. It's wanting to be known as something, to be known as more than them. I uh, watched a film, I think it was about six months ago. It's a long documentary or a film. It was on the, the Berlin, Berlin, excuse me, Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, which, I mean, arguably uh, is the best orchestra in the world. People put that or, or the uh, Amsterdam uh, Concerto Bal. Uh, that, that's not, not, they argue over that, which is the best. But anyway, the Berlin Philharmonic, certainly one of the best in the world. And it was on their, uh, their tour of Asia, in particular their tour of China. This is unprecedented. They're touring China under Sir Simon Rattle. Um, that's what he does. Um, and gets paid, I'm amazing, he paid a lot of money for that. Uh, but he's, he's so, there you have the, the best conductor possibly in the world, the best orchestra possibly in the world, on this incredibly exciting tour. You know, they're breaking new ground touring China. And the overwhelming um, message of the film was oh my goodness, this bunch of people are neurotic. There were three trialists, so trying out with the orchestra, you know, would they make it? And of course, they are. They are so nervous every time they play. Every time they play, they know that the, the rest of the, whatever, 128 or other, whoever, how many others, are scrutinizing them. Is their performance good enough? They're a complete bag of nerves. And you kind of expect that. But then the old hands, the most experienced, the ones who've been in the orchestra, you know, at, at 10, 20 years, you see them interviewed and they're petrified as well. Am I still as good? What about these young Turks coming up? Are they better than me? Am I still first violin? Am I still second violin? Or should someone overtake me? Uh, this piece is taking me quite a long time to learn. Am I losing it? Uh, am I not as good as I used to be? And you think, oh my goodness, you are the best in the world. And you are panicked about it. And there is no comfort in that. And you're neurotic. It's very, very enlightening to me. So what will give you secure status at work? 
you, know, you can keep climbing the ladder. You can be the best in your industry. You can be the Oscar winner of your industry. But then there's always next year. Uh, I enjoyed this. Uh, 20 years ago, do you know what was the best film? Best film and best director? 20 years ago, people were whining their minds about Dances with Wolves, Kevin Costner, 20 years ago, won seven Oscars. You know the next film he directed? Waterworld. Ooh, ouch. Um, yeah, you're, on, you're on top of the world, and then, oops, uh, the world slams you and says, well, that's, that is a lot of money spent on not the greatest film ever. Now, you can be the top of your industry, but, but then does that secure, secure you status? Will that make you someone, or do you just fear the next year? That's what happens, says the teacher. If you think that your work is the place of your value, your meaning, your life will just be a yo-yo. You'll come, and we all know, I mean, we all know this to some extent. You know, you come in, how was your day? Yeah, it was good. I achieved loads. Yeah, that's a good day, good day. How was your day? Oh, it wasn't so good, wasn't so good, wasn't so good. Now I'm exaggerating, but a little. Um, we all know that. That's true of all of us. But if we invest too much in work, the bad days are devastating. They're devastating. And then comes the day where you you may be redundant, and it destroys you, or you or you retire, uh, and life ceases to have purpose, or you even just have time out for a child, and all of a sudden you don't know who you are. If you invest too much, it's crippling. It's just crippling. So work cannot provide meaning, says the teacher. Oh, he knows it's a good thing. It's a gift from God, yes. But it can't provide your deepest meaning. It won't give you a legacy. It won't give you satisfaction. It won't secure your status. It can't secure those things for you. So have it in the right place, he says. It can't secure meaning. But secondly, it can be satisfying. Work from God, it can be satisfying. Well, if work can't provide meaning, what are we meant to do? Well, you get this little, uh, little let's just stay in chapter 4, verse 4 for a little bit. Um, chapter 4, verse 4, I saw that all labor and all achievements spring from man's envy of his neighbor. This is meaningless, a chasing after his wind. So what could you do? Well, verse 5, the fool folds his hand and ruins himself. That's one answer. Don't do any work. Um, well, that'll just ruin you. It's literally the fool folds his hands and eats his flesh. I think they thought that was a bit cannibalistic. You know, you'll have nothing to eat. You'll end up eating yourself. It's a graphic picture. So overwork? No, 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 no. Stop work? No. But verse 6. Better one hand with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Okay, this is better, he says. Don't grasp after work with two hands. Don't toil with two hands. Don't think, don't grasp hold of meaning in work with both hands. Don't do that. Have one hand on work, yes, and one hand on tranquility, or equally translated, rest. You need some balance. You can't get your meaning from two hands on work. Have one hand on work and enjoy it. It's a good gift of God. But have the other hand, or make sure you have that secured on tranquility, on rest. is isn't explained anymore. But of course, Jesus Christ comes along and says, as we had read for us earlier, Come to me, 
Come to me, all who are, sorry, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, tranquility, quietness. Same word. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me. Come to me. And you'll find the rest you need. Now don't mishear him. He's not saying come to me and I am your uh, divine assistant. I am your divine associate who will take work off your desk. I am your divine administrator and uh, all of a sudden you can just work for five hours a day. And that's what, Of course he's not saying that. He's saying more, something far more fundamental than that. Come to me. Not... I can teach you the way to be peaceful in work, not read my book and uh, here are ten steps to being, having a balanced life. He says, come to me. Come to me a person. Put your trust in me. Take up my yoke. So stop trying to find your meaning, your satisfaction. Stop trying to justify your existence with your work. You'll never do that. That is too heavy for you. Come to me. Take my yoke. Come to me and put your trust in me. Find your meaning for life in me. Find your satisfaction, your status in me. Once you've done that, then you'll have the grace to see work in its right context. But put grasp hold of rest, grasp hold of me first and then go to work. And if you do it the other way around, it'll crush you. You'll never find your purpose or your meaning there. You can't do that. So come to me, says Jesus Christ. So practically, uh, what does that mean practically? I think, well, simply, when work is hard, when you get up from a restless night's sleep, when you're hit by the demands of work that day, and you think, gosh, look at the burdens, the volume, uh, the conversations I need to have in this day. Uh, for those of us who are Christians, that still can sometimes be overwhelming. And I think Jesus would say, look, come to me, (laughs) rest, remember who you are, now go to work. But if you do it the other way around, the stresses, the strains, the demands of the day, well, they'll crush you. Or even if you actually enjoy them for quite some time, you'll take a step back and think, well, now what have I got? What have I achieved for all of this? Come to me, rest in me, then go to work, he says. So back in Ecclesiastes, I don't know if you've noticed, if you've been reading it at all, but back in Ecclesiastes, the observations on work as meaningless are always followed by something more positive. So chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, verse 23. Chapter 2, verse 23. All his, days, all his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is meaningless. So, well, a man could do nothing better than go eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? So, do you see how quickly the very toil, the very labor that tyrannized him, that he viewed as pain and grief... Verse 24, I find it satisfying now because I see it as a gift from the hand of God and I now do it with him and I can find enjoyment. 
Yeah, exactly the same in chapter 3. Just out over the page, uh, verse, uh, verse three and, and, uh, sorry, chapter 3 and verse 9. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He's, oh, he's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the hearts of men. They cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So, I know there's nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in his toil. It's the gift of God. So, the teacher would say, enjoy the work God has given you. Enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it at all, you're probably in the wrong labor, the wrong task, perhaps. But enjoy the work God has given you. But don't expect too much from it. Don't expect that it'll satisfy you completely. That spoils work. So if I can be utterly uh, utterly reductionistic, work plus success minus God, meaningless. Eventually, when you take a step back, work plus God, or even better, God, Jesus Christ, plus work, okay, it can be satisfying. It can satisfy. Not ultimately, but once you've got him first. Now, remember, this is Ecclesiastes, and we've said this before. It isn't that, and please don't make this mistake, it isn't that, uh, work is hard. Become a Christian. Ta-da! Work is magnificent, and uh, you, you tap dance your way through the office every day. It's not that simplistic. It just isn't. This work is sorry. This world and work in this world will always have days of fogginess, of vapor. This planet still has thorns and thistles on it. So every day, or sorry, there'll always be days of frustration. Of what have I achieved? of the computer system went up the wall, of I just had, you know, this one colleague came in, it took the whole day, and it was just deeply frustrating. There'll always be those days. That's life in this world, says the teacher. But rest in Jesus Christ. Find your satisfaction, your security. Know that you have a legacy in him. And then go and enjoy work. Go and enjoy it. Once you've got that in place, then you can go and enjoy it. Acknowledge there'll be good days, there'll be bad days. Oh, on the good days... Yeah, have a decent lunch. Have a bottle of wine at the end. Um, enjoy them. Enjoy them. Let me finish. I read this week, and I commend it to you, the, uh, a little biography of a chap called John Lang, who uh, the English will remember, probably. Uh, you probably remember growing up, Lang Construction, the, uh, the black letters on the yellow background, was everywhere. Uh, Lang was a construction firm that was dominant in the UK for a number of years. Uh, John Lang, he took over a small family firm uh, in the uh, uh, 1910, ran the company for 60 years. It grew 1,600 times under his leadership. Now, it took me a while to think that through. If the company was worth a million, it then became worth 1.6 billion. Now, we'd all be happy with that sort of growth. Uh, That's a good company doing well. he, they were the company that built the M1. Uh, half of the runways in the Second World War and half of projects were built by then. They built the, the uh, harbors that went out on D-Day. A wildly successful company built up over the years. John Lang was a Christian. Uh, he was a hard man. Uh, there's lots of accounts in his biography. He'd sack people on the spot. He liked sort of going up to the workplace and not knowing, no one knowing who he was, sort of cap pulled over his head. You know, the bell would go to start work and there'd be a couple of them sort of stood there. You know, you're going to start work? No, in a minute, just have another fag. Do you want one? No. What's your names? Peter and James. Okay, you're fired. Uh, he dismissed them. But he was the first man in the UK to pay holiday pay. 
the first company to give sick pay. That's how he treated his staff. Uh, He lived for the whole of his life on 500 pounds a year and gave all of the rest. (laughs) And uh, uh, I can't tell you, the the, the Christian work, the IVP, IVF, UCCF as it is now, all funded originally from him, gave away millions and millions and millions. When he died, his his personal estate was worth 373 pounds. (laughs) He was an elder at his church. He ran the youth work until he was 70 years old. When he received his uh, CBE from the Queen, uh, and there's a gathering of those about to get it beforehand, he's in the anteroom, this is the last thing, he's in the antechamber, and they're all talking about how exciting it was. Uh, he stood up and said, I've got something to say actually. Who he, oh, it's John Lang, yeah, he's worth listening to. A bit, a bit of business wisdom, what's he going to say? He stood up and said, it's an exciting day, isn't it? I've been thinking what it'll be like when we assemble before the throne of Jesus Christ. What will we be thinking then? Do you hope to be there? What will you have achieved? And then he stood down. (laughs) Now, he's quite a man. I mean, businessman, Christian man, he's quite a man. But would you see what he's saying there at the end? What drives me is Jesus Christ. That's what drives me. I know who I am in him. And that orders everything I do. It's how I treat my staff. It's how I spend my money. It's how I spend my time. Because I have a clear view of him. Oh, and I like my work. I'm good at my work. Because I have him first. Find your rest in him. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you've given us uh, uh, work to do. We thank you for the labors of uh, this world. Thank you that you've designed work to be uh, fulfilling and to have purpose and to organize and categorize and fill this earth and subdue it and be creative in it. Thank you for that. But at the same time, work is fallen. This world will always have thorns and thistles we can never find our true meaning, our true satisfaction in it. And would you, would you stop us making that foolish mistake from investing too much in our work? So, Father, would we come and find our rest in you? We thank you for those words of Jesus Christ, that in him there is rest for our souls. And having found that, would you then equip us to go and work in a healthy fashion, in a sustainable fashion, in an enjoyable fashion, recognizing there'll be days of meaninglessness. But would we come to him as the source of meaning, of status, of satisfaction, and then go to our work? And in doing so, bring honor to you and satisfaction for our souls. Amen.